All right, John chapter 13. Uh, so we've been, we've been in this series on Be Rich. We've been doing community projects. I love that this church gets off the campus, okay? Um, I love that on Sundays we come and we be the church in here, right? And then when, when church is over, the, the congregational gathering is over, we go and we be the church out there uh, doing projects so that people might see that if we meet the physical needs of those around us who are less fortunate, it may give us the credibility to be able to meet their spiritual needs, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them how much God loves them. And so that's why we do those things. We don't do it. We don't budget for it so that, that you know, we can get in the newspaper or get pats on the back or likes on Facebook or hearts on Instagram. We don't do any of that. That's not, that's not why we serve. It, wouldn't it just be easier? And like I was thinking about this the other day. You got me a water. You're alley to me today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. All right. That's, that's, that's super cool. Thank you, brother. All right. Um, so, so in, in the midst of all that, you know, what did, have you ever thought about how nice it would be that the moment that you trust Jesus, you're just raptured to heaven? Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, like you know, all of a sudden, like someone's there and they trust Jesus as Savior, boop, they go. I mean, wouldn't that be great? That doesn't happen. You know why that doesn't happen? Because there are more lost people on earth. There are things that need to happen so that they might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so how are they going to hear? And even Paul said this, he said, how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? How are they going to understand the depth of their sin, the depth of God's grace? If we who are redeemed, we who have been changed by the gospel, how are they going to hear these things if we don't go to them? So we go to them. And part of that is going to First Coast Women's Services. It's going to Lone Star Elementary. It's going to pack uh, uh, meals that are going to go out in, in church. When that happens, people hear the gospel. But if we as the church, if we're going to serve, there has to be a certain mindset. There has to be a certain vibe coming from us. And part of that is the redemption of our souls. Okay, part of that is that when we are saved out of our sin, out of our selfishness, there comes with it an intrinsic desire not to serve so that we might be lifted up or exalted, but that we actually might disappear and that when people see us serve, they don't see us, they see Jesus. So there has to be, there, there is a heart change, an attitude adjustment that happens when we're saved. Today's big idea is this. As we look at, at the model that Jesus used at the Last Supper to model for the disciples what servanthood leadership looked like, but also for us. That if we're to serve without insecurity or with arrogance, right? We're secure in Christ, but we're not so secure in Christ that we make our service about us, right? And part of that is we put into, we have to put into perspective our identity, right? You are not your own, right? You have been bought with a price. And we're we're going to discuss that price today when we share in the Lord's table at the end of the service. And so if you're watching online, um, we couldn't get you one of these. And so um, if, you, uh, if you have saltines and Gatorade or sweet tea uh, or water, um, what's in this? In the fact that this is grape juice and an unleavened wafer doesn't really matter. This is all symbolic, okay? So grab whatever you have at the end of the service. We're going to take the Lord's table together. If you're in the room, we have some, uh, some elements back in the back. If you have not grabbed, grabbed one or got one this morning, uh, and we're going to share in the Lord's table together here uh, in just a few minutes. But 
But John chapter 13, Jesus puts into perspective what servanthood looks like. And so everything that the Jews of the day had been taught, right? The Mosaic law is all about what they could do to maintain a relationship with God. But the Mosaic law, you couldn't keep it. If you, if you ever read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation, like a year-long uh, reading of the Bible, go to Leviticus. You're not good enough to keep all of those things. And so the law was a constant reminder to the Israelites and the Jews of the New Testament that they were not good enough. But everything that they had been taught was about what they could do to earn or to keep God's favor in keeping the law. So Jesus takes this bottom-up mentality that the underlings serve the master, the servants uh, serve the master, and he flips it. And he grabs a rag and a basin with water in it, and he's going to wash the disciples' feet, something unheard of. And we're going to see in the, what, in the interactions with the disciples what it looks like for us to be a servant of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, it changes how we serve the world that we live in. John chapter 13, it's a big passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 together, and then we're going to come back and we're going to unpack. He says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's very important. Underline that, uh, circle it, highlight it. Um, it's understand that, that when God loves you, he loves you to the end. All right. Now, while that was not specifically for you, that was for the disciples, that those he discipled, he loved to the end. Part of the adoption process into the family of God, we're grafted into that love. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you'll understand. Peter said to him, you, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed Jesus does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If, then, or if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There is so much good stuff. We could spend a month just on this. 
So we're going to try to unpack some of the really good stuff. You're going to want to go back and, and read over this a little bit more during the week. It is so encouraging. A couple things that I want to show you in the time that we have uh, on the, this, this idea of servant leadership is this. Number one, that Jesus models for us servant-mindedness. Jesus models for us. It would be so easy for Jesus to say, I have given you the scriptures, now go figure it out. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't do that? Because I'll tell you, there are times I could not find my way to righteousness if I had a map. Life is hard sometimes. And you get into traffic and like all the things that happen uh, there and you're in line at, at Walmart and there's 40 registers and only two of them are open. You know, and you're just like looking, especially at Christmas, you're looking around going, going, why are we here? And you get angry. Jesus know, knows this. And so he models for us, the believer, what servant-mindedness should look like. Now, church, you can be philanthropic. You can be benevolent in your giving, in your servitude. Uh, you can be a member of Rotary or Elks Club or whatever it happens to be, some organization that does good around our, our world, around our town, around our world. But what Jesus is teaching is not servitude and, and is not servanthood and is not benevolence and is not philanthropy. He is teaching what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And there's two things that go along with servant-mindedness. One is this, nobody is above service. Nobody's above serving, all right? So if you, if you thought, man, I trusted Jesus as Savior, I'm just gonna sit in the pew until I either die or Jesus comes back because I have fire insurance, my salvation is secure, wrong. And the thing is, if that's your mindset, in love, can I share with you that maybe, just maybe, that you need to check your heart? Because if you've truly been changed by Jesus Christ, you have a desire, this wellspring of love and compassion and desire for the world to know the truth of the gospel. You cannot stand to just sit. You got to serve or you're going to burst. Jesus showed us the Lord of creation, right? Genesis chapter one, verse one. He said, in the beginning, God. That God is plural, that God is multiple. It is the, the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, present at creation. Why is that important to this? Because if the God that created all things doesn't take a day off of serving, then church, neither can we. Nobody is greater than his master. And a master never in this culture would have washed the feet of his servants. This is the Lord who is present and active when the world was spoken into existence. This is the man who is God, yet he left the splendor of heaven to commune with his people. For we see in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Why, why, why is it, it doesn't say it says he dwelt among us, but why? That word tabernacle, you see in the Old Testament, the tabernacle of the, the Exodus, the, ten, the Solomonic temple in Jerusalem, all of those things were places where the glory of God dwelled with men. And yet in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled with us. He left the splendor of heaven knowing full well it would end up at Golgotha. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> yet he came anyway. Verse 1 
in John chapter 13 introduces us to the rest of this chapter. It sets up a transition between Jesus' earthly ministry that you read about in chapters 1 through 12 and his greater purpose, which is the passion, which is the sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement that he took your place, made that great exchange with you when he exchanged your dirty, ungodly, unrighteousness for his beauty, his majesty, and his cloak of righteousness. That's salvation. And it's that transition that we're going to remember today in just a few minutes as we share the Lord's table together. Let's, let's not forget that Jesus, being God, he knew it was coming. He had all knowledge, and he did it anyway. He knew the pain. He knew the anguish. He knew the isolation he would feel on the cross, the weight of the burden of our sin. And as a human, can you imagine what Jesus felt like in that moment? And he came anyway. And here he goes. Verse 1 says that when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. You know, this wasn't Elijah. He wasn't just going to jump on a chariot of fire and take off. The hour had come for his departure. You know what that means? That means betrayal. That means isolation when he's sitting in the bottom of an empty water cistern in the bottom of Chief Priest Caiaphas' house awaiting his trial, his kangaroo court trial and execution. Admit the beating. Admit the cat of nine tails ripping the flesh from his back. Admit carrying his cross through the streets of the old city of Jerusalem out the Damascus gate to Golgotha. And in that moment, can you imagine what he felt? Yet in that moment, as he's taking off his outer garment, and grabbing that basin of water. He washed the disciples' feet. Church, nobody is above service. But also, nobody is below being served. Look at verse 2. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that, his father, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He washed 12 pairs of feet, including the feet of the man that would betray him. Nobody is below being served. These were the same feet that would walk to the temple the same feet that would take the guards to identify and to betray Jesus. Jesus washed those feet. Church, can I tell you, nobody gets a free pass. We don't get to pick and choose who we're going to serve because we feel they don't deserve it. Doesn't matter what color their skin what language they speak, the status of their green card, what they've done to you or to your family. And church, I know what I'm saying to you. I know the hurt that's welling up in some of you at just the thought of serving someone who has deeply hurt you, maybe in this church. 
Church hurt, church hurt is the worst hurt, isn't it? Family hurt is awful, isn't it? But hear me, church. Jesus washed the feet of the man that would put into motion the worst experience of humankind. And he washed Judas's feet anyway. That makes our job easy. You say, Pastor, how in the world does that make our job easy? Because we don't have to pick and choose who's worthy. We served, or we serve others because Jesus served us when we were unworthy. Nobody is above service, but nobody is below being served. Secondly, we see that Jesus commissions us to act upon what he has modeled for us. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just told us what to do and then left us alone? Wouldn't it be nice if he just said, be holy as I am holy. I'll see you in heaven. It's not how the Bible works, is it? The beauty of Lord's Supper is we remember not a good saying or a quote from Jesus, a tweet maybe that Jesus would have sent out if he were in the 21st century. We remember something that Jesus did to purchase our pardon. We don't get to just sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Jesus commissions us to act upon what he's already modeled for us. Look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus tells Peter that there's a time that's coming where they'll understand more fully afterward. What is afterward? After what? After dinner? After the Passover feast? Now, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the betrayal. He knew the beatings. He knew the Via Dolorosa. He knew the cross. And he knew the burial. He knew it was coming. Jesus tells Peter, you'll understand afterward. They get it. And it wouldn't be after any of those events. You know how we know? Because when Jesus died, the disciples scattered like roaches when the light came on. All the things they'd seen, all the things that they had seen Jesus do, the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee where Jesus turned water into wine. Baptists don't like to talk about that. The healing of the issue, or the lady with the issue of blood, blind Bartimaeus, the woman at the well. All the things he had done. Jairus' daughter. All the things. And in that moment, the disciples didn't get it. Because when Jesus died, they thought they had followed the wrong guy. It wasn't until the resurrection. The crux, if you will, 
of our faith. It wasn't until the resurrection would they fully understand what true servant leadership looked like. It wasn't lip service. It wasn't the washing of the disciples' feet wasn't just some PR ploy. It was servanthood. He had to serve them by dying so they could live. Church, you can have all the slogans, all the banners, all the social media interaction and graphics, and I'm grateful for Kelsey and all the work that she does. But if our social media interaction or the philanthropy that we do, if it is not attached to the resurrection, our work is in vain. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And I I give Peter credit here. If I were Peter, and unfortunately of all the disciples that I could identify myself with, I'm Peter. Okay, And I'm not the good Peter that preached Pentecost. I'm the dumb Peter who shot his mouth off, who cuts off the centurion's ear, who denies Jesus. That's the Peter that I am. I'm the loud one. Like, I'm the guy out of that group that go, wait a minute, Lord, you will never wash my feet, for I will never deny you and all the other things he said. Look what Jesus says. If you won't let me serve you, you have no share in me. Now, give Peter credit. Where credit is due, mind you. He says, now wait a minute. If that's the condition, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hair. Wash my hands. Wash me all. Dump the basin on me, Lord. Whatever you're, I don't know what you're given, but whatever it is, I want it. Oh, oh, that we would be like Peter. That Peter. Now, Peter would, before, before the sun comes up, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. Okay, so it's not a perfect science. But in that moment, whatever Jesus was offering, Peter wanted it. If the washing of feet is the on-ramp to discipleship, Peter wanted to be fully washed. But Peter's sin wasn't the point here. Jesus' sacrifice, whatever that sin would wind up being, Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover whatever sin Peter had. For without allowing Jesus to serve us, By trusting in him as Savior, by accepting his propitiation that he made on the cross for us, without that church, we can't have any part of Jesus. It's the on-ramp. So if you're sitting in here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, you're missing it. Don't believe what they tell you on all those other channels on TV, that there's multiple ways to God. There's not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the on-ramp to salvation for you. Only by trusting in Jesus as Savior, only by believing that his blood was enough, only by asking him to forgive you of your sins can you be healed. And only in that can you share in what Jesus is offering. Verse 15. Let me skip down a little bit. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done for you. Underline that, circle it, just just as in Scripture. Jesus showed us, 
church, but you know what I've learned? Even though some of us in this room, maybe, may, maybe many of us in this room may be redeemed, we're selfish sometimes. We want it our way. I mean, we are, we are the consummate, like, like, like Burger King people. Have it your way. We say, have it my way. I want my Whopper with no tomatoes. We don't have the capacity without Jesus. We don't have the capacity to serve others the way Jesus would have us. It takes being redeemed by Christ. And we know that God displayed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, that's the gospel. Serving others isn't an action. Serving others is an attitude. When you understand a little bit, you're never going to understand this side of heaven fully, but when you begin to understand the depth of your sin, you see the depth of God's grace that says where sin abounds, my grace abounds even more. And you want to share it. All the arrogance. Look at all I've done for the church. Look at all I've given to the church. Look at all I've done for the kingdom of God. When you see what Christ has done for us, what little righteousness we offer, right? Paul says it was like filthy rags. All those go away. Because church, I know this. You will never outgive God. But we can spend the rest of our lives here on this earth trying. Because there are a ton of lost folks in this world. And they need to be served. Whether they're worthy of it or not, most of them aren't. You think, well, there's some good folks out there. Not, not compared to Jesus. Nobody's good. To borrow a Christmas colloquialism before Thanksgiving, my apologies. We're all on the naughty list. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pastor Matt Carter once said that few things we do make the gospel more beautiful and compelling than when someone sees Christians with dirty towels and clean feet. That's when we're like Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, "For the I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right. Let's go ahead and prep our elements. While you're doing that, let me offer a, a warning that I, that I always offer. Um, this is not a game. 
Okay, this is a very serious remembrance. Jesus left two ordinances when he left, two sacraments, okay? Uh, one is believer's baptism, which we, we exercise often here at Fort Caroline, uh, but also the administration of the Lord's Supper. It's very clear about what it means for us to take the Lord's Supper. In verse 27, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Matter of fact, he goes so far to the church at Corinth, and he says, That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Taking the, the table in an unworthy manner, and ha- what is an unworthy manner? You may have, have some type of, of unrepentant sin in your heart. Okay, something you're just not ready to let go of. Some type of issue that you have against somebody, something they've said, something they've done to you, etc. And you're just like, Pastor, you know what? I'm just not ready to give it up. Um, I'm harboring it. It keeps me, you know, that that angst and anger keeps me warm on a cold night. Um, I've said those words. And I'm a pastor, okay, mind you. Can I tell you in love a couple things? Uh, One, it's not keeping you warm on a cold night. It's eating you from the inside out. But I can't make it make you let it go. That's got to be between you and Jesus. Whoever hurt you, whoever wronged you, whoever you're mad at, forgiving them is not a matter of them asking for forgiveness. Forgiving someone that's hurt you has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with with Christ. He's the intermediary. He's forgiven you of your sin. There is no reason we shouldn't forgive others. Now, on the practical end, you may not be ready to do that. I totally get it. Take these elements, slip them in your pocket, put them in your purse. When we take of the elements, just walk out. And while we pray, I'm going to pray here in a minute. I'm going to pray for you, that if that's you. But I'm going to ask, don't take the elements, because you're taking the table in an unworthy manner. If there's some other sin that you're not ready to let go of yet, I'd let it go if I were you but I'm not you. Just let the elements go by. It's okay. It's okay. Ask God to show show you how to move past that and ask forgiveness of it. And I'll tell you, he'll give you victory over it. But you've got to be ready. For the rest of us, when we take of the body and of the blood, It's a remembrance of what was done for us. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments, we're broken, we're weak, we're tired. And quite honestly, Lord, there are days we're just not good at this life. You've called us to a life of servanthood. And many days, Father, we just want to serve ourselves. But God, we thank you for mercy. And we thank you for grace. And we thank you for Jesus. The constant reminder that we were bought with a price. Father, may we not forget that. May we proclaim your death until you come in glorious victory and put right all the things that have been done wrong in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Flip your elements.
And I would shake them if you haven't opened Marty. It settles. Jesus ushered in a New Testament, right? The, the New Testament. But that word covenant and testament are the same thing. Um, Jesus says the covenants of old haven't been abolished. They've been fulfilled. So I bring to you a new covenant in my blood. And that covenant was enacted when he bled and died on Calvary's cross and then resurrected again gloriously three days later. So he tells the disciples, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you remember it, as you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm, I'm thinking of that old song that we sang in church growing up. What can wash away my sins? Say it with me, church. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Whenever you eat of this bread and take of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you have never trusted Jesus as Savior, in the back, there's a section that says, what is your next step? We want to invite you back there. After the service, Matt is going to be back, Pastor Matt's going to be back there in the back. You'll find him in a black polo and jeans. You can, he wants to tell you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what this table means. And then maybe next time you can take it with us. Maybe you've not, maybe you're not a member of Fort Caroline Baptist, and we practice open communion here. If you are a member of another Bible-believing evangelical church body, then you're, you are welcome to take it with us. But we would love for you to become part of the family. God's moving on this side of town. He's working. And we would love for you to be a part of what the Lord's doing here at Fort Caroline. Let me pray, and after I pray, we'll be dismissed, and you'll be dismissed for, uh, for life groups, or if your life group is later, you'll be dismissed to go home. May God bless you and keep you as you go today. Father, we love you and we honor you. As we go, may we go with the, the idea that, God, that, that we should be looking for places to serve. God, where to get involved. Find where you're working and jump in. Because, Father, there is no testimony more compelling than a Christian who has a dirty towel and clean feet. And Father, I pray the world would see the love and passion we have for Jesus. And may they want to know more about that life. And we could tell them what can wash away their sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May God's blessing be on you as you go today.